Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting for the Matrix on the 24th of April 2013. I always get this out the road at the very beginning of the broadcast and tell you that you should make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com for newcomers, that is. And you'll find lots and lots of information where I go through the big system we call reality, the one that's been given to us basically by those that control reality. And and reality truly is controlled, truly is controlled. And I go into the history of the organizations that set up a long time ago to bring in the system that spent over a 100 years openly, that is, doing it. Before that, of course, they existed under different names and guises. But at the top, of course, they have the banking fraternity of the time where international intergenerational bankers had run a good part of the world for hundreds of years already, maybe even thousands. And they decide they were the best on the planet and they've heard they were the fittest on the planet to rule the world. The most intelligent had held on to their money, didn't lose it through the generations of having uh, generations that were squandered away because they have very, very, very specially selected spouses. They don't marry for anything except money and power from the same kinds of families so that they're pretty well guaranteed to get the same offspring as they've had before. And this is again eugenics. Eugenics is a very big part of this system. But they also got academia on board with them too to help implement the changes because they need world managers they come out of the universities they go into all the big organizations which they create and for all for all the extra departments of government which they also push for to and create so we're run by a very controlled system and perfectly controlled pretty well almost by the way of it and I go through the history of it, as I say, so go through cuttingthroughthematrix.com, find out how it's done, the organizations behind it, who controls all your media out there, who gives you the stories you can do prattle about, in fact, which I hate even doing myself sometimes, and um, unless you can get, I can add something else to it or a disclaimer or whatever, but the fact is we really are controlled and the whole future is planned out. Remember, two, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on uh, sponsors. I don't have sponsors except you and uh, the audience. And I don't take money from advertisers. So uh, you can help me take along by getting the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if you can do that, then hopefully it will last a bit longer as they really, really are clamping down. There's not a day goes by. I don't have crashes on my computer and things like that. Not a single day. There's never a day I can say, I'm going to do this today because... Everything goes wrong. And they are using cyber uh, warfare on the general population, especially ones who've got a voice in any, any sense at all. So, as I say, help me, help me get along. You can uh, donate and, or, or buy the books. And from the U.S. to Canada, don't forget, personal checks are still good, as are international postal money orders from the post office. Or you can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. But we truly are living through amazing times as it, as it speeds up. And it's speeding up really because all of the organizations that are necessary to control every facet of society, including your thoughts uh, and your realities, um, are so well entrenched now. 
They're out in the open. And most folk live in fiction most of the time. In fact, when they talk about anything, they've got to refer not to books or anything like that, like they used to do one time, because hardly anybody reads anymore. Uh, but they refer to movies. It's the only thing they can relate to. So when something happens in real life, they refer to movies because they've been conditioned to accept the real life ones that come along and, and planned, of course, because they get predictive programming inserted in all the movies that they watch. And in fact, if you've got someone from Mars and just put them in the planet as a, as a total innocent and gave them a, a two or three years watching Hollywood movies, they'd be prepared for everything that come down the pike, just like the children are today. Uh, uh, you're, you're, it's like having a slate that's wiped clean and years programmed just like that. And truly, emotion attached to messages is a way to imprint it in your mind. Not reality, but emotion. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. I think it was Monday I mentioned that uh, from a, a Russian newspaper that uh, the, the top guy who was uh, uh, head of the special forces over there said that it's possible that America's uh, been training folk and the FBI's been recruiting people and so on. We know this is true now because more things come out since, but I mentioned that article and they said it'd be unfortunate if these same people would turn on America itself, the guys who train them and sponsor them. And then out comes today, it says, who'd radicalize the Boston bomber? And it says, just as the U.S. supported bin Laden and the precursor of Al-Qaeda in order to, find the, to fight the Soviets, the U.S. has supported Chechen terrorists in order to fight Russia. Now, for those who have been watching what's going on with Russia, the U.S. and Britain and the rest of Europe have been encircling Russia for quite some time now with new missile defenses, and Russia has been complaining on and on and on. But, of course, no one listens. But they've been doing more than that. And it says, today, Russian newspaper Izvestia alleges that the older Boston bombing brother attended a workshop sponsored by an American organization on destabilizing the Russian satellite states. Now it says, at the disposal of Izvestia, uh, has documents, counterintelligence department ministry of internal affairs of Georgia, so it's, it's definite stuff has come out of the, their ministry of internal affairs, confirming that the Georgian organization called Fund of Caucuses and I'll put the links up tonight for their website, which cooperates with the U.S. non-profit organization called Jamestown. Now, Jamestown runs these NGOs, um, or has on the board of directors of this particular one, Jamestown, Zygmunt Brzezinski, and says was engaged in recruiting residents North Caucasus to work in the interests of the United States and Georgia. And it says here that according to the reports of Colonel Chief Directorate Counterintelligence Department, Ministry of Internal Affairs, Georgia Gregory Chanturia, to the Ministry of Internal Affairs, uh, Garabashvili, it says Caucas Caucasian Fund in cooperation with the Foundation Jamestown in the summer of 2012 conducted workshops and seminars for young people of the Caucasus, including its Russian part. Some of them attracted uh, Surnev uh, Tamerlin, who was in Russia from January to, to July 2012. 
It says the Caucasus Fund Rights Church in Turia was established November 7, 2008, just after the Georgian Ossetian conflict to control the processes taking place in the North Caucasus region. Currently, the Department of Ministry of Interior Counterintelligence case was brought into intelligence operations called DTV. The main purpose is to recruit young people and intellectuals of the North Caucasus to enhance instability and extremism in the southern regions of Russia. And it says, in addition, Colonel uh, Counterintelligence Tabitli, uh, or Polisi, as it says, you should say, reports that security forces in Chechnya uh, through Georgia Caucasian Fund and Fund Jamestown, are sympathetic to the Georgian people who are invited to various events in the Republic under the innocent pretext. In these seminars, Russians are recruiting and preparing acts of terrorism. And it says Director General of the National Strategy Council, uh, Valerie Hamsters, argues that exaggerated uh, the force of external enemy in Georgia may be beneficial to the management of the North Caucasian republics. In other words, they're creating a strategy of tension. Now, it's geopolitics, in other words, and where we get Brzezinski involved and all of these NGOs that the U.S. funnels through different channels uh, and send abroad to create trouble down the road, that's our future geopolitical upheaval. And, of course, Russia has caught on to it, and I've read the articles even over the last six months or so, where Russia has been trying to expel different non-governmental organizations funded from the West, especially the U.S., again, get them out of the country, because uh, they're really upsetting and trying to change the culture inside Russia, too, and to tear apart its, its present structure. And also, too, I'll put up tonight um, this article here, and it's from, uh, it's from Georgia, actually, itself. And it says, uh, Georgia trained a terrorist for the USA. Tamerlane Sarnev, arrested on suspicion of committing a terrorist act, Boston, was trained in Georgian organization Caucasus Foundation, which along with the American non-governmental organization Jamestown, was engaged in recruiting people from the North Caucasus to work in the interests of the US and Georgia. This is the conclusion of Russian journalists who have got the documents off the counterintelligence department of the Ministry of Internal Affairs of Georgia. This is last week the U.S. suffered a series of terrorist attacks and so on. It tells you what happened. This is natives of the North Caucasus brothers Tsarnev are suspected in committing bombing and attacks. A result of the shootout, it was only to tell you what happened, which we all know, of course. But it says, according to the newspaper, Izvestia reports by the Colonel Chief Directorate, Counterintelligence Department, Ministry of Internal Affairs of Georgia, who is called Gregory Chanturia to the Minister of Internal Affairs and so on. It says, uh, the Caucasus Foundation jointly with the Jamestown Foundation conducted workshops, seminars for the young people at the Caucasus, including Russian uh, in part two. In the summer of 2012, Sarnev Tamerlane, who was in Russia from January to July 2012, attended some of them. Now, the Caucasus Foundation was established 7th of November 2008, shortly after the Georgian Ossetian conflict to control the processes taking place in the North Caucasus region. So there's definitely something, this kind of involvement about it. Plus, of course, Russia mentioned before, earlier on, that the ones getting recruited inside the U.S. from those particular countries by the FBI, um, as I say, uh, are they're then getting sent over. Who do you think is comprising the so-called anti-Syrian army? I mean, who do you th- where do you think they're getting all these guys? And they're, they're training them. 
So, of course, we have mercenary groups too, uh, all over the world, uh, and we have all these shadowy government operations on the go from different governments, creating in havoc, and then you'll also get guys who are trained to go after one enemy who might turn on their trainers down the road. And this is the state of affairs today. But everybody benefits, don't they? Everyone benefits from what happened in Boston because the, the, the whole military-industrial complex is on a boom now, and, uh, and drones are going to be just all over the darn place. And the U.S. secretly passed a massive bill uh, very quickly on the day it happened on total cybersecurity, no privacy, etc., etc. Canada jumped on the bandwagon with what they claim was a, a possible planned attack on trains that was, wasn't pulled off or anything. It was in the talking phase, but that was good enough to cash in on it and reappraise the same uh, agenda to do with our privacy, which means no privacy at all. Everything today is uh, done by very high powers, and often your own powers, because they already have all their plans in place. And they need the events to happen. If they don't get the events to happen, we go back to sleep, the general public. And we get kind of annoyed when they try to push harder when nothing's happening. So you get an event to happen, and they all sit back and cringe, and the government rams them through saying, if you want to be safe, you've got to give up all your rights and freedoms. Old, old trick. But see, now they've got these NGOs across the world, hundreds and hundreds of them uh, across the planet, and many of them, in fact, are really uh, subversive agencies. In America, too, they don't know their own history, because back in the 60s, a lot of the organizations are now uh, fully vocal and with, with a lot of power, and say, even within government circles, a lot of these NGOs were on the terrorist list then for blowing up buildings inside the U.S., now they're often training the U.S. on on who are possible suspects, which was their old enemies. So you got to bring on the past and the present to understand what's happening. And also, too, uh, as I say, that particular article from Georgia is a page one and two. I'll put them both up tonight, and I'll do the other one from Washington's blog as well. And I'll also put up the Russian ones for those who want to go and do their Google translation, uh, because it's quite interesting as well. And, as I said, too, the Globe and Mail came out, as I said, with this possible, maybe, uh, or, or terrorist guys that were maybe going to do something. We don't know the story yet. But it says the news of the terror plot to attack a Via Rail train just one week after the Boston Marathon bombings uh, has pushed public security to the front burner as a Harper government seeks parliament authority to curb civil liberties in the name of keeping Canadians safe. This is a major newspaper owned by friends of another country. It says, the House of Commons was so was several hours into a debate Monday over a government-sponsored counterterrorism bill that would give authorities extra powers of arrest and detention when the RCMP announced they had foiled an Al-Qaeda-backed plan to attack a Toronto-area passenger train. And But as far as I know, it's so vague, this whole thing. I don't know if it was in the planning phase or just two guys chatting on their cell phones. Uh, because really, and, and I hope young guys listen to what I'm going to say here, you can't joke about anything anymore. I hope you realize that. Because it's so easy just to cut parts of your conversations out and just team it, scream it up there. And uh, that's you, that's you, that's just going to stand up in court. And whatever you say afterwards doesn't matter. It won't matter. And this is the sort of thing that's been happening in Britain already, you see. So we'll see what happens with this. We don't know what's going on, but um, I, didn't, I don't think they said that they found any explosives or anything else. I don't think they have found that yet. 
So we're getting very, very little except the fact the Canadian government's jumped on this right away with the US and they've both passed new counterterrorism bills and cybersecurity bills just like that. Uh, this is a good article too to do with um, Council on Foreign Relations, which again is a branch, one an American branch of the the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and I've gone through the history of these guys ad nauseum because the Royal Institute for International Affairs was set up by the top bankers to bring in this world order and to set up a world bank, which they did, and to set up the IMF, which they did, and to amalgamate countries together into the European Union, which they did, and to set up a, a big central bank of Europe, which they've done. Everything they were about uh, 80, 90, 100 years ago has been fulfilled and they're pushing for the next step and the next step. But um, it says here, and they also own the media, or every, every media mogul is a member of this organization. But it says U.S. Secretary of State John F. Kerry was in Brussels, Belgium, on April 22nd to meet with the European Union officials, including European Commission President Manuel Barroso, and to promote the administration's new push for congressional approval of the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the meetings, talking about the Royal Institute of International Affairs, basically, and this Council on Foreign Relations, one of its organizations that runs the U.S. And that I've mentioned before their own personal historian from their own personal archives, because they have private archives of their version of history since they, are, they make history happen. They actually write the history books, too, for the children in the school. And... Um, this is to do with the big organization that set up this idea for World Bank, uh, Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, and uh, constant loans and so on from the World Bank, perpetual debt for all the countries to get them amalgamated together under trade treaties. That's what, how they got European Union completely combined. And now it's a super Soviet system, and the, the public have no say in the matter at all. And even the head honcho that was unelected by anybody that we know uh, has come out many times for the European uh, uh, Parliament and said uh, the age of the nation state is over, it's obsolete. And we had the same articles the other day too with Merkel and and then the head of Spain saying the same kind of thing. So uh, they're all on board together. So this this agreement that carries in Brussels, Belgium, uh, doing right now with the European Union is also to further America. America's integration to the same system so that they will then be under the one you know, system authority, etc. And all of it have to be like the banks too when they crash them across Europe again. But anyway, it says here the first one is Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, TTIP it's called. Remember that one. And the TPA, which is called the Trade Promotion Authority. Uh, this is also known as Fast Track to push the TTIP into the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact through Congress with little or no debates. So that's what he's over there for. Says the new American has been following and reporting on the efforts to conclude the TTIP and TPP for many years throughout the Clinton and Bush administrations. 
One of the most important objections, though not the only one regarding both of these efforts, is that throughout the various iterations and proposals, it's very apparent that the architects and proponents of the agreements are being thoroughly dishonest. They're publicly packaging and promoting the agreements as trade agreements, when in fact they've been designed as evolving projects that will progressively integrate the economies and political systems of the signatory nations into a supranational regime modelled along the lines of the European Union. Now, that's exactly what the, the, the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs said 100 years ago. Uh, they would do it all by these little binding treaties they would do under, under free trade systems and then bind them together uh, legally as well, their whole economic system, political system and so on, until they have world government. So it's ongoing, you see. And it says, Dennis uh, Braden's uh, article, Transatlantic Two-Step, on May 10th, 2008, during President George W. Bush's administration, is one of the many articles published that details the efforts of globalist elites and organizations such as Council on Foreign Relations, the Transatlantic Policy Network, the Brookings Institution, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, and others to use the battering ram of trade agreements to smuggle political and economic integration schemes that are aimed at destroying national sovereignty. And that's exactly what they're meant to do, apart from the fact you've got a small handful of people uh, running all the economies and all the cash systems. That's an awful lot of power. As recently, the Council of Foreign Relations held a panel discussion at Princeton University entitled The G20 Prospects and Challenges for Global Governance. This is there are many interesting and revealing comments made by the panel participants, but admission by Eurasia Group President Ian Bremer is especially noteworthy in that it publicly confirms what critics of the European Union have been saying for decades, but which the CFR globalists like Bremer have usually denied. Bremer, Bremer admits that there's real subversion of sovereignty by the EU. He's all for it, though. That's his purpose. And I'll put this article up tonight for those who want to follow it, read the rest of it with the links to the video we're here, uh, the chairman and so on, all talking about this, their own people talking about this, because they're integrating the whole world now into trade blocks and eventually to go into a world government. That is the whole agenda here. And the United Nations technically already is really the, co- the was, it's a conduit for world government. All laws go through the United Nations then to us. And they come from it generally too. But that the United Nations is obedient and is, is master, it happens to be the ones that set them up, which is the Royal Institute for Art International Affairs, a private organization. Also too, last night here, I thought it was going to get swept away with rain, it's kept pouring and pouring because we get deluges now. And it hasn't risen above uh, the freezing mark all day here. And uh, it's, it's snowing again this morning when I got up. So, as his cold and snow wave grips the United States, nearly 10,000 cold and snow records set in the last six weeks alone. It's happened the same things across uh, Europe and everywhere else. Did a two or three days of warmer weather and bang right back into it again. But we're still going to get our carbon taxes and, and, and global warming energy taxes and all the rest of it because there's too much riding on it. It's to do with power, more power over you, all of you. And this article Two is rather good. It says, uh, it says the real deniers of climate change. And it says that um, the Northern Hemisphere is experiencing unusually cold weather. Snow cover last December was the greatest since satellite monitoring began in 1966. 
The UK had the coldest March weather in 50 years, and there were more than a 1,000 record low temperatures in the United States. The Irish Meteorological Office reported that March temperatures were the lowest on record nearly everywhere. Spring snowfall in Europe was also high. In Moscow, the snow depth was the highest in 134 years of observation. In Kiev, authorities had to bring in military vehicles to clear snow from the streets. And I'll continue with this because, you see, it doesn't matter what facts are anymore. You're going to pay and pay and pay and pay and pay to the ultra elite at the top. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the cons that go on. And cons, the best cons are really big. Even Adolf Hitler mentioned that, too. If you can tell a lie to the public, make sure it's a really big lie. Because, you see, the average person can understand a small lie. They say, well, I could, I, I could do a little small lie myself. But they can't imagine ever doing such a whopper, a massive lie, uh, it, that really would affect the whole nation or the world for that matter. But there are folk who do that. That's why they do it this way. Sometimes they call it the noble lie uh, that came out with during the neocons uh, meetings when they first got into power and inside all the wars and stuff. But they had to tell the public noble lies to get a, a good thing through without the public understanding the, 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 the lies behind it. So it says cold weather extremes are a natural climatic variation, and this is exactly the point. If the world were experiencing a climate crisis owing to global warming, there shouldn't be a single record low temperature anywhere in the world. The Associated Press has assured us, though, that this cold spell is not only consistent with a warming globe, it's actually caused by global warming. And they did too, they came out and said that rubbish. And then they came up with the preferred explanation being that the cold weather in Europe is a result of melting sea ice in the Arctic, even though you have the thickest one for years in the Arctic. If this special pleading strikes you as unusually tedious, it's all in the best tradition of explaining away ex post facto any weather event that appears to contradict the ruling paradigm. In 2000, the British climate researcher and intergovernmental panel on climate change, and the big liars that run by a, a railway engineer, Mr. Perturi, says that the contributor David Viner told the Independent that within a few years, winter snowfall become a very rare and exciting event. Sadly, he predicted that children just aren't going to know what snow is. In 2008, the environmental activist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wrote in the Los Angeles Times that snow is so scarce today that most Virginia children probably don't own a sled. Well, he's right on that part. They've got snowmobiles and uh, skidoos and, uh, and, uh, and they've got some skis as well. It says, on February the 6th, 2010, the eastern United States was hit by a blizzard uh, that produced from 20 to 35 inches of snow. Three days later, a second blizzard added 10 to 20 more inches of snow. In Washington, D.C., it was the highest seasonal snowfall since record-keeping began in 1888. According to the National Climatic Data Center, there were hundreds of record snowfall accumulations across the U.S. during 2009-10 to 10 winter season. Within a few days, the blizzards in the eastern U.S. were dismissed as natural consequences of global warming. On February the 12th, National Geographic News informed us that global warming is the main culprit behind this month's eastern U.S. snowstorms. You understand you're living in utter Orwellianism. When these bigwigs come out with straight faces 
and say that they're specialists. And you have been trained to believe experts. You have been trained so intricately and methodically to, to believe the experts. Most folk can't think through it once they're told that with, with a straight face. It says, on February 8th to 10th of this year, the eastern United States was again struck by a blizzard that produced record snowfall, a hurricane-strength gusts of wind, and left 700,000 people with electric power. On February the 18th, the Associated Press provided the oxymoronic excuse that global warming produces less snow and more blizzards. You can't make this stuff up. Portraying cold weather as a result of global warming is only one aspect of the circus. Gems that stand out include claims that earthquakes, tsunamis and volcanoes are caused or will be made worse by global warming. Last year we were told that global warming could turn us all into hobbits, the mythical creatures from the Jai R. R. Tolkien's novels. And it goes on and on and on, going through all the things that have happened. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, facts don't matter anymore with big agendas at stake by very powerful, the richest folk on the planet at the top with all their hundreds of non-governmental organizations below them and all the, the third-class scientists that have managed to get awfully lucrative jobs with grants for pushing the social political purpose. That's what it is, folks. That's what it is. Also, this article, too, it says the ECB urges the, the European Union, that's the European Central Bank, urges the European Union to build strong central authority for failing banks. It says, it says they've, they've urged the governments to press ahead with setting up of a strong central authority to handle bank failures in the euro area, saying that the progress in the project is essential to bolster lenders and spur growth. More coordination between national authorities is not sufficient. So national, national states and, and your authorities are not sufficient for cross-border resolution in crisis. This is Viter Constancios, the ECB's vice president, told lawmakers today at the European Parliament in Brussels. So here's the private central banker that's been set up by the big boys from the city of London, uh, telling them they're going to have to put another massive organization and, and give it all to them, give all the power in their hands to decide what to do. Exactly what the Royal Institute of International Affairs said at the beginning of their whole world plan. The currency bloc needs a single resolution authority, it says, with independence decision-making powers that would enable prompt and decisive action. That means they can just pass out a law fast and, and rob all your accounts the same day. That's what that means. It says the authority should be backed by a privately funded European resolution fund, he said. So their call for decisive action to build a common resolution system for crisis hit banks runs counter to warnings from Germany that setting up a central authority with independent powers would require changes to the 27 nations bloc treaties. But they'll do that overnight, you know. And uh, the whole thing is, it's total, total power in the hands of a few for the whole planet, folks. And with this uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership and the Transatlantic Trade Treaty and so on going on with the US, Canada and Europe, we're all getting sucked into it. And all help them, will help them bail out their banks too, until we are even further in the hole than we are ourselves at the moment. Beautiful plan though, you're going to admit it, it's awfully beautiful. And this is a quite a little funny one actually, kind of funny in a sense, but um, James McCormick, it says, is guilty of filming fake bomb detectors. And it says that um, he sold them uh, to different uh, groups, including the British military. And they're used at Iraqi checkpoints and so on. This is a millionaire businessman who sold fake bomb detectors to countries including Iraq and Georgia, knowing they did not work, has been convicted of fraud. 
This is James McCormick, physicist of Langport, Somerset, is said to have made £50 million from sales and sold over 6,000 to Iraq. The devices which sold for up to 40,000, he should be made businessman in the year. Because that's not a bad con, that one. You know. It's just that we sold up for $40,000 were based on a novelty golf ball finder and supposed to detect explosives, people and drugs. An Iraqi bomb victim described him to the BBC as a morally bankrupt man. Well, that psychopaths get to the top. You should know that they're running your world now. And it says both civilians and armed forces personnel were put at significant risk. And that was, that's what was said by the Deputy Senior Investigating Officer, Detector Ed Heath, it says. The models are described by prosecutors as completely ineffectual and lacking any grounding in science. Well, it's like global warming too and all the stuff they give us, isn't it? Police said McCormick showed a complete disregard for safety of those who used and relied upon the device for their own security and protection. There's no evidence he tried to sell to the Ministry of Defence, but an Essex policeman organised a demonstration which was watched by a Ministry of Defence inspector. McCormick claimed that the detectors could bypass all forms of concealment and would detect explosives, drugs and people. He claimed they would work underwater and from the air. See, your story's got to be good. And would track an object up to one kilometre below the ground. Devices came with cards which were programmed, supposedly, to detect a wide array of substances from ivory to $100 uh, banknotes. Other substances could be detected, it was claimed, if it put in a jar with a sticker which would absorb its vapours and which was then stuck onto a card which would be read by the machine. In fact, McCormick's device was based on $20 golf ball finders, is what it cost him to make one, which he which had purchased from the US and, and had no working electronics at all. <laughs> it's almost as good as, as Bernanke and all these guys, eh? And uh, made off, remember, you know, made off, made off with the bank. I mean, I mean, this is, this is the cons, but these are the guys who are awfully successful. I mean, you must have been successful to have that kind of money in the first place, multi-millionaire. So Iraq spent more than forty million dollars on six thousand devices between two thousand eight and two thousand and ten, and on and on it goes. Yep, the great imposter indeed. Eh? But that's how they get the money at the top. And the other guys, of course, simply say, oh, well, we've got to get better arms than our, who's our nearest, de- who is our main enemy today? You know, they have to look up a dictionary to find who the main enemies are, because they use all different ones all the time. The whole Cold War was built on, well, the Russians have got better missiles than we have, we've got to, we get new ones. Every month there's a new missile. Incredible. And all the House of Lords in Britain were, were members, had members in the massive shares, or they were memberships in the massive shares of, of these companies that made all these missiles. It was great business. None of them have really ever tried, but there you go. Now it was this thing here. Now, here it says, here comes Team Obama's carbon tax. The Treasury Department's Office of Environment and Energy has finally begun to turn over documents about its preparations for a carbon tax in response to Transparency Warrior Chris Horner's Freedom of Information Act request. The documents provide solid evidence that the Obama administration and its allies in Congress have every intention of implementing a carbon tax if we fail to stop them. The Office of Environment and Energy, if you've never heard of it, is housed in the Treasury Office of International Affairs and exists principally to wait for authority to administer the revenue, the tax, from a cap-and-trade scheme or carbon tax, and apparently to trick Americans into supporting the tax to provide the money. So the, the documents they've reluctantly released are worth a careful look. This is, there's a G20 report titled Mobilizing Climate Finance. This is me going, well, what a for This is even better than the last thing I read there about the fake... Uh, detection meters. This is even better because, I mean, it's all based on nonsense. 
nonsense. They don't have the proof of anything. It's just their view on things, you know. So mobilizing climate finance, which pegs a price tag at $2.1 trillion of investment requirement in a global carbon market. It's not bad. They don't even have to pass empty bags of air between each other or carbon or anything, eh? It says that there's a helpful IMF, International Monetary Fund, which is owned by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, too. Report from the Ian Parry and the Fiscal Affairs Department on Public Sources of Climate Finance. Parry's stated goal for the U.S. is raising revenue and putting it to good use. Well, they've got lots of plans across the sea. And for third world nations, where they put their international corporations, set up their new factories. We pay for all of that, you see. That's where the money goes. He suggests a 25 per metric ton carbon tax. That's to start it off. Right in the middle of the range suggested by the discussion draft legislation recently released by U.S. Representative Henry Waxman, the top Democrat in the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and noted that $25 billion a year could be sent abroad for climate finance. Yep, well... There's one born every minute. Unfortunately, today it's whole crowds of people. And the state did go ahead and endorse the bill on an internet sales tax that would raise the cost of online shopping. It was Walmart and all the big boys were the guys who helped draft it all up and were the main backers to get this all done because it's taking the business away from their overpriced stock. And this article here is to do with... Uh, remember, it was about a month or more ago, it came out that uh, it's a suspicion that Possibly, and the Syrians, uh, the, the legitimate governments presently in Syria said they suspected that the, the, the chemical attacks would get used on them. Then it, got, it was vanished from the paper. It turned out that it was the Syrian rebels that actually launched, supposedly were told, a couple of small missiles with containing chemical weapons. And, of course, the U.S. is also wanting that, that excuse to go and invade Syria. You've got any weapons of mass destruction. That said, there was the next card we got to want weapons of mass destruction. Same thing that went into Iraq and, and killed lots of them off. Or they didn't have them either. doesn't matter. The fact, facts don't matter. But says, Kerry says, NATO needs plan for Syria chemical arms. And the U.S. urges alliance members to boost their assistance to their opposition. The opposition are all the trained and paid for mercenaries that are recruited in the European countries and the U.S. and elsewhere to go over and fight the Syrian guy. This is, what a world, eh? What a world. And all those guys that they've paid to go over and fight in these wars are going to come back radicalized and cause problems down the road, so they'll then use them as well to get us all under more and more martial law. And they'll bump a lot of them off on the way too. No, the whole uh, gun smuggling operation that came up fast and furious and so on inside the U.S., it says Obama resists Republican bid to see gun smuggling operation documents. And it says the U.S. Justice Department lawyer said Wednesday that if a judge agreed to consider a Republican bid to get administration documents related to a botched operation against gun trafficking, it would prompt a flood of requests for courts to re- referee Washington political disputes. Well, in other words, so they're not going to do it to show you how many guns they gave to the Mexicans across the border that ended up coming back into America and actually shooting some of the U.S. officers. All to blame this, that British gun owner, by the way. And that's true, that's what it was for. And Kerry also did this. He mentioned um, Boston Marmara comparison. They got blasted by the Israeli lobby inside the States and abroad. 
And it says the RGC Executive Director slams comparison of loss of life resulting from self-defense to the results of cold-blooded murder. And it says um, the Republican Jewish Coalition uh, strongly objected to U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry's remarks, likening some Turks' anger over the 2010 Mavi Marmara incident to Americans' outrage over the last week's terrorist attack at the Boston Marathon. At the Prince Conference in Istanbul on Sunday, Kerry compared the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing to the nine Turkish activists killed by the Israeli Defense Force as they tried to break Gaza's naval blockade. So he's been lambasted for it. And I guess you have to do his parents. And this article too is called um, Let's Review the Peer Review Process. A great article actually. It was put out by a professor of sciences. And under, under, under a pseudonym, but it's now been released who he actually was. And he's been hammered by all these top uh, the scientific community for just simply saying all the truth. See, you must understand this community must always bring out a, a, a face of confidence to the public, even though most of what they're working on is guesses, which they call theories. And we have to all change our world and we will live for their theories or guesses. But it says, we must hold up a mirror to scientific peer review if we're to stamp out fraud and uphold the dis- discipline's reputation, argues Philip Moriarty. That's the name he picked for it. It says, as, as Richard Feynman said in 1974 commencement address at uh, Caltech, scientists need to go the extra mile in self-criticism before they submit their work for publication. The website sciencefraud.org was established July 2012 by the pseudonymous Francis de Trius, which was an anagram of science fraudster, with the aim of highlighting suspicious papers in the scientific literature. Barely six months later, having brought to light around 500 examples of what might be best called questionable data, and with a daily readership in the thousands, the website was shut down. As founder's true identity had been uncovered, he was Paul Brooks, an associate professor at the University of Rochester Medical Center in the U.S., and an email had been sent to around 85 scientists whose data had been questioned on the site, encouraging them to sue him for defamation. The mail, which describes science fraud org as a hate site, <laughs> that's all they've got left to, when nothing else works, but hate, it's hate, you see. And rather ironically, as a menace to scientific society, was also copied to Brooks' superiors at Rochester, including its president, the editors of journals in which he published, and the prom- and prominent people in his field who might be expected to be involved in peer-reviewing his grants and papers. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And it's an old saying that says that the the squeaky wheel, the wheel that squeaks, always gets grease. The ones that don't squeak don't get anything. That's just the way it is. Some folk know how to use it, some some folk don't. But Chuck Hagel, of course, was lambasted by the community and so on, under a whole bunch of false pretenses. And this article is not bad, it's from the forward actually. And it says that Chuck Hagel's gifts, new weapons... I guess they mean bring new trust. Then you go through all the, you know, the, basically the sackcloth and ashes stuff that they they put across. But, oh, we're not putting this terrible man in. They'll put us under a bus and so on. It says here, 
It says, it's a sinister plot, Sheila writes, or Shalev writes. Hegel couldn't have changed his tune in response to the intimidating powers of the Jewish lobby, since we all know those powers are imaginary. That's what they say, so it's tongue-in-cheek. The other two possibilities are that he's engaging in psychological warfare to lower Israel's guard, or that Hegel's critics were wrong. But the last possibility concludes can't possibly be true, because by now Hegel's critics would have owned up to their mistake and apologized. It is also essential reading as analysis of the Hegel visit by Bloomberg news columnist and former forward staffer Jeffrey Goldberg. It says the new weapon systems Israel is to receive, not bad, eh? Especially advanced long-distance radar systems, the KC-135 mid-air refueling tankers and the V-22 Osprey tilt rotor transport aircraft, which is a combination of helicopter and jet plane never before sold to another country, all make it easier for Israel to attack Iran. But given Hegel's long-standing opposition to attacking Iran, what does this mean? And Goldberg makes two key points. First, he says, based on a conversation with a senior Defense Department official, Hegel's been awakened to the depth of the Iranian threat by now daily exposure to intelligence concerning Iran's nefarious activities around the globe. He's no longer the iconoclastic outsider. Second, Second, by visiting, expressing appreciation for Israel's security concerns, and of course enhancing Israel's ability to defend itself the way it sees fit, he increased Israeli trust in the Obama administration, and that paradox they makes it easier for Israel to delay its own attack on Iran, trusting that Washington will keep its promise to act if and when the time comes. So everything works out again for the squeaky wheel. And it's true enough, most folk don't know how to be squeaky, but you should try to learn it because it gets results if you get a big enough lobby that's got wealth behind it and power. Also, too, 99.5% of illegal immigrants in the U.S. get approval for legal status. And this is high number raises concerns about fraud. But listen to the little, little part here, it says here. Officials say they expect the approval rate to drop, perhaps, in the future, as more cases make their way through the system, as it takes longer to deny an application than to approve it. So it's easier to approve it, it's cheaper. So just let them all come in. <laughs> Isn't that quite the way of it? Indeed, the approval rate already has dropped from 99.8% just a month ago. But the high rate leaves others wondering whether the administration is doing all it can to weed out fraud or potentially dangerous illegal immigrants to, in DACA or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, as it's formerly known. Aye, aye. Also, two anti-terrorist drill by Atlas Network, it says it's going to be one of the largest for the whole of Europe. At least, well, it says on April 17th and 18th, EU member states... Um, that's what's actually uh, about to happen. We'll, we'll participate in the anti-terrorist exercise of the Atlas Network. The European Commissioner for Home Affairs, Cecilia Malmström, uh, commented the fight against terrorism is one of the key challenges to our internal security. So umpteen countries are taking part in it, and the taxpayers are already broken. Destitute will have to cough up for this too. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, where it's really freezing, I'll be back hopefully tomorrow. As good night and may your God or your God's go with you.